Hi, ladies. How are you? Great. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for having us back. So I have Shauna and Angie back. They were previous guests. I wanted to have them come on, uh, basically talk about an idea that we have been doing this year. This year we have so much money that we can spend on extra duty and uh, things like that. So rather than doing book studies, we decided to do podcast studies. And we've been having staff members listen to certain podcasts. We thought that that might be a good idea for some administrators out there to hear about. So we're going to talk about the three podcasts that we've listened to so far and just kind of give our take on the topics and uh, see where it goes. With us three all in the same room, you never know <laughs> where it's going to go. Uh, for those of you that are new, Shauna Quenneville is the AP at Thompson and Angie Brown is the read by grade three strategist at Thompson. These are, these are their, my the ladies that help keep me out of trouble and they keep me organized and basically um, just take care of all the stuff that I don't want to do. <laughs> That's an old way of putting it. <laughs> all right. So overall, the podcast, how do you guys feel like they're going? Um, I think they're great. I just wish uh, more people were there. Um, the conversations that are, ha that we are having, I feel are productive. Um, and there's a lot going on there. There's relationships building, like there's people that are getting to know each other that may have never like, you know, had this opportunity to talk to one another. Um, and we're talking about, you know, things that matter. So I think they're productive. I just wish there were more people there. Well, sure. I mean, we wish we had the entire licensed staff there. The first meeting we had, it was a lot. It was like 20 and then wow. it's, it's dwindled. I don't know if it's because of the topics, but um, anyway, Angelica. I Well, having done the book studies and now doing the podcast studies, I feel like there's a lot more value in the podcast studies. Not that the books weren't, but I guess, I don't know. I don't know if podcasts are just easier for people to listen to or relate to, or they're just easier to interact with. But um, I just enjoy the conversations that come out of them. Well, yeah, I think they are easier. I mean, you mm -hmm. can do so much while you're listening to the podcast, like, um, Cindy, yeah, Cindy's <laughs> probably do, doing her run on Saturday or checking the garden or, you know, people are driving to work or doing whatever. So that's much easier than reading a book for sure. It's also cheaper. I don't have to buy oh. everybody a book, which is great. And last week, remember, uh, one of our staff members shared that she was listening to it and her husband overheard it and it got them into a really good conversation. So it extends beyond school and what our purpose for it is too. So that's, that's true. Cool. I mean, I guess you could look at it that way. Yeah. Uh, it might spur some different conversations um, and see, see where it goes. I, I wonder what like someone who isn't a teacher or in the profession would think of some of the podcasts though. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's one of the things I think I noticed after our first podcast that we had was I think a lot of, I mean, it's just like with everything else, you just kind of bring your own perspective into it and your own outlook on things. So I remember the three of us listened to it, but we all had such different takeaways. And then hearing our staff input into it, you can hear that certain things stood out more to them than they did to us. So that's been kind of fascinating to see like what people's takeaways are or yeah. what stood out to them. Yeah, it is, it is fascinating. I mean, we listen to the same one and, and all three of us are pretty, pretty in sync. Yeah. We hear different things and then the conversations are fun because, you know, in the end <laughs> it's all about perspective, but 
you know, we get to like Sean and I get to give the admin side and then Angie and Tracy are kind of in between a little bit. Um, and then of course you have the teachers and it's fascinating to get, uh, to get their, their take. So the first podcast that we did, uh, Angie, what was that one again? Um, it was from Melissa and Lori love literacy. And the specific episode we listened to was, um, episode 108. Uh, and it featured Angie Hanlon, who is a superintendent in uh, Wisconsin. And the stories that she shared were about how she got her school from, um, I think they were at like 13% proficient to 100% proficiency in one school year. But it wasn't at her school in Wisconsin that that story was from. It was from a school that she worked at, I want to say in Michigan, one of those M states, mm-hmm. Missouri, Michigan. It's just um, a few of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and that one was fun too, because she, that principal, um, I guess, Lori, uh, Miss Hanlon, Angie yeah. Hanlon, well, we should be able to remember that. Yeah. Um, she is very different, I feel, than I am or than Shauna would be. I feel like she's a little more hardcore, extreme with the systems and structures and expectations. And of course, we're a little more loose. We don't care how you teach the kids or we try not to care. Um, as long as the kids are learning. Um, so that was fascinating because what that kind of brought out of ours was how the teachers at Thompson say they want more structure, but we're not quite sure that they really do because it sounds lovely when you have structure until you're in it. Everybody, this is a great statement. Everybody follows 100% of the rules they agree with. But after that, you got to start to, uh, start to police things. So that was fascinating to me. I don't know what else you all. Yeah. I feel like during that, you know, when we all got together to talk about that podcast, that was the main thing that came out is that everybody's like, yeah, we need structure. We need these expectations. We need stuff that everybody's doing and following. And then we're like, okay, you really want that? Are you sure you want that? Because, (laughs) you know, we can do that. And then as time has gone the last couple of weeks, I kind of feel, I see people like kind of pulling back from that. Um, well, but it's but, hard for us to manage all people too. Like when you say all, you know, I, you have to have, when I mean, we have systems and structures, they're just very, um, uh, I would say people think that they're very loose. It's a big circle. Just stay in the circle. Um, and then we have systems, but it seemed to me like they wanted more. And when I say they, I say the people who are at the podcast, so we're always balancing, and Angie's got to see this from kind of her perspective, we're always balancing everybody and their wants and needs and trying to do do for the greater good. And uh, this really pointed that out. Yeah, and I think one of the things too, like during that meetup, people were like, you know, we want help, we want support. And we're like, well, we ask you guys all the time, so what do you need help with? Well, we don't know. Like, you know, it's like, Yeah, and I've talked to people about that and they're like, well, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And that's that's true in some degree. But I struggle, you know, when I was teaching back in the Stone Ages, I knew the areas I stunk at. All right. So I don't maybe some people are really oblivious to what they stink at. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but to me, I mean, being a data person, that all comes back to data. Like if my data is not good or I'm, you know, weaker in one area, according to my data, then that to me is. Uh, so much and like that's what I would be trying like the numbers to me is always you know I'm always trying to reach higher numbers um in that aspect so that's where I would seek help and ask for you know support well and I think 
it's, it's hard. It's hard when you're in it every day. Like you only obviously see your own patterns. You only see like what goes on. But I think there's a lot of power in observing the, your own patterns and the things that maybe I know for me, it was powerful. One year I had a tough year and I was like, what am I constantly complaining about? Okay. Well, it's X, Y, Z. Okay. Well, is that in my control or is that out of my control? Okay. Well, it is within my control. So what can I do to change that? You know? And right. Cause you don't want to live in that every single day. If you're struggling right. or you feel uncomfortable or, you know, it's like something that bothers you day in and day out, like, right. wouldn't you want to change it? Right. Exactly. But some people don't. It's fascinating too. Cause one of the things that came out of that, um, Angie Hanlon, she, she's quoted a lot of research. She, she knows her research. She did talk about John Hattie, who we did a podcast on later. And she basically said like, we've bought into the 10 mind frames mm-hmm. and everybody, I felt like, well, most people in the podcast, when you start looking at the mind frames, you're like, absolutely. If they don't like it, they can go. But then I have this strange feeling that if I drop the 10 mind frames on the staff, they might be like, oh, he's being mean. It's just it's such a fascinating thing because like I think even one person was like, yeah, like if they don't like it, they can transfer. Uh-huh. But then another problem is like we're just going to go out. It's just who knows where this conversation is going to go now. But there's not a line of people to fill the positions that we might have. So it's like, okay, we can drop the mind frames on them. But then if we lose 19 people, there's not 19 more people saying they're waiting. Yeah, that's a good point. But it's just, I don't know, it just comes down to like being reflective and reflecting on what you do and how you can fix it and how you affect the environment you're in and wanting to make those changes. And that's just the hard part. Like I can go into a classroom and see what I think you need to change and I can give you that feedback. But if you don't see it and you're not willing to change it, then you're just going to be stuck in the same cycle you've been in. Right. And And I think those mind frames are important because like you're saying, like if you don't change it. And so I always come back to this, but like a lot of times people think they're supposed to change like what they're using and not necessarily how they're doing it. So just because you change your program or you change what you're giving the kids doesn't mean that everything's going to, you know, get better. I think it all comes back to like the person who's, you know, presenting it to the students or working with the students. Like you have to change something on in how you're doing it. But you're, you're going right into one of the things that Hattie said in one of the later podcasts, which is we have to take the focus off of teaching and put it on the learning. Right. And that's so true. But a, a lot of people um, in my career they just want to keep doing what they've been doing and try to get better at that when it's not working. And sometimes that, that has to happen, but at some point in time, you have to, you have to try something new or do something. And then also uh, another point that was made at some point in the last three weeks was that people are great at giving feedback, but not receiving it. Uh And I think that's very, very true of education. I think one person said, well, that's because teaching is so personal. Uh And that's true. I mean, I can see that. Like, listen, at the end of the day, nobody wants to be told like, well, you're not doing this well and this well, and you can improve in this area. But again, I mean, speaking for myself, when you're in a classroom teaching, it's you and those four walls and those kids. So you just think like, this is just what everybody does, or this is just exactly the way that you do it, you know? And so feedback is nice, 
um, if you're not doing something well, because other people like the most, the majority of the feedback you get are from like your admin, right? And so they're the ones who walk around and they see better things. So those are the people that you should be receptive to the most feedback from. But I see that you guys get pushback on some of the feedback you give. And so that's kind of the fine line of like, okay, well, you want the feedback, but you're not willing to take it. But if I send this person in there, then it comes across as like, well, you know, then you get defensive because you think they're judging you, but they're not. And I think we all just kind of lose sight of the fact that we're all just here because we want to do what's best for kids. And a lot of that is going to take feedback. And just because this is the way you've always done it doesn't mean that it's right. So. Well, yeah. And I always say, you know, my job is to get everybody to think. Mm -hmm. So if I can get you to take, if I give you a piece of feedback and you at least think about it and you think, oh, that's not good. I, I do this better. Okay. Well, at least I got you to think. Uh-huh. Um, which I think is a win on our side. Uh, but it's funny though, because, you know, I've had people in the past are like, well, they never give us feedback. And then I'll look on their observation form and literally on the first, the first standard it says suggestion. Uh-huh. <laughs> Try this. And right. it's just like, I think people have all of us, me included, we have selective hearing and we hear what we want to hear and, and then we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. That, that was that was such a profound thought that you two were speechless. You are, I that's the first time I've got you both speechless at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What other what other huge thoughts? Anyway, I I mean like the podcast for admin out there, give it a shot. I mean it's so easy. People listen to them. This is just an idea that uh that uh the librarian had at Thompson last year, and I'm like, oh yeah, that definitely is a good idea. Uh, so, um, anyways, yeah. what else? Like, let's keep going. I think, well, my last thought on the first podcast that we all listened to was, um, that stuck out to me was, uh, it was said that just because you taught it doesn't mean that the students learned it. And so I've always struggled with that definition of taught. Like if the kids didn't learn it, did you really teach it just because you delivered the lesson doesn't mm-hmm. mean it was effective. And I think, you know, sometimes people lose side of that which brings it back to the idea you know i've had to focus on learning right and not teaching i guess you have to define what being taught is if you don't know it where you taught it right you have to define that i mean I, you might I have been told it or told yeah like, i mean it's a different <laughs> verb there you know you're told but did you exposed, learn right right yeah so. or exposed right anyways angelica um i'm looking through my notes i know for me, what stood out in that podcast too, was she talked a lot about, uh, the importance of like repetitions and yes, I remember that. Yeah. We talked a lot about how important repetitions are and even the part that stood out, which I think like we just, most teachers naturally do, um, is how she even differentiates repetitions within like a whole group lesson, you know? So like she'll ask something, but she'll specifically call on the small, on the, the lower kids to try to give them more opportunities for repetitions, even in a whole group lesson. And I think what I've gathered the most from these last three weeks of podcasts was teachers have been so reflective about what differentiation looks like in their classrooms and small groups. And I think it's just gotten a whole bunch of people talking about that, which is good because I know that that's something that we've talked about even, you know, how are small groups run and what's the best way? And I know, I mean, even this weekend you shared something with me on Instagram about what small groups should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so it just makes me think like over the years on my own experiences in teaching, what's most effective um, when it comes to small groups and trying to target all learners and, and what the best way for that to look like is. One of the things I've always, I mean, I've said it before, um, you know, when I say don't slow the hike is down, you know, like it takes one to four repetitions before they've got it. Uh-huh. Why do they need to do 29? They don't. Yeah. But yet differentiating is hard. It takes time. It takes thought. Um, so if I'm doing a whole group lesson and I know that the quote unquote high kids have it, then they don't need repetitions. So I'm going to pick on the students that need the repetitions. Well, you know, it's oftentimes only the students who are quote unquote high academically that are raising their hands. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to constantly battle that as well. Yeah. And it that also kind of goes back to questioning too, and just making sure you're asking the right types of questions and knowing your kids like, okay, I've got this kid who's not answering anything at all. Is that because they don't understand or do they need me to kind of scaffold this a little bit better for them? You know, so you'll tailor your questions differently. But, you know, again, that also requires you to really know your kids too and know what your kids need and how to get them from point A to B. So let's move to the math one. Shauna, you are a math person. Yep. Math is your thing. You love it. So what what profound provocative statement that you want to make about the math. Yeah. The math a lot of the, yes. a lot of the things that we just talked about talked about are actually, you know, they're brought up in this next podcast as well. So this podcast was um, making math moments matter. Um, their guest was Rick Warmly, episode 256. Um, and basically it was like having empathy um, when teaching math. So, you know, you teachers have to be open to what students are doing. So if you're teaching, you know, a math concept a certain way and a student comes to you, you know, you should take the time to see what they're doing. Maybe they might not be doing it exactly how you taught them, but, you know, don't just say, no, you did it wrong, go back and fix it. But spending that time to let them show you what they know and how they did it, because it might work for them. And I've seen so many times kids come up and show me how they got to an answer. And eventually they did work through the method that I taught them. It's just they started out different. And so if you're not spending that time with the student to really get to see what they're doing, then you might be doing a disservice to them and just shutting them down. I feel like with math, so much of it is confidence and allowing the kids to like really get into it and learn it, you know, themselves. It also led to a conversation or a suggestion from one of the teachers. Uh, I think it was this this week where she said that she doesn't give them a traditional test. She'll give them a test that has the problems completed and she'll say which ones are correct and which are not. And how did the how did the student mess up on the ones that are not right, which is way more higher order than just giving them a regular assessment. I thought that was a fabulous idea. I hope more people run with that because if you have to analyze it and explain it, that's exactly what we need kids to be able to do. Right, which is putting them to edit, right, the work of maybe somebody else or whatever was presented to them. And in this podcast, you know, that they said that the whoever's doing the editing is the one that's doing the learning. Uh-huh. So again, when the kids come to you and they have wrong work, 
you shouldn't say, oh, you messed up right here. Go fix it or go look at this. I always had the kids like, okay, tell me what you did. Even if it was wrong, I would say, tell me what you did. And they'd start walking through the steps and they would catch their mistake on their own. And that's so much more powerful than, you know, you just telling them that they messed up because now they're focused on that. And next time they're less likely to make the same mistake. That's my struggle right now. So I have two older boys, one's in high school and one's in middle school. And I feel so disconnected from their work, like one's in geometry, one's in algebra and their grades and math are not great right now. But as a parent, like I struggle with how to help them because, and maybe I'm just old school in this sense, but everything's done on the computer. Everything's done online. I don't see papers. I mean, not that I would really understand how to sit and walk them through the steps anyways. <laughs> Let's just be real. Math's not my thing, but that's the hard part for me is like, well, okay, you know, it's just a grade through my phone that I see, but I think that it is powerful to see their work, to see like, okay, well, what did you do? Okay. Well, oh, look, buddy, you subtracted when you should have added this, you know? And, and I know everything's digital and computerized these days, but I think especially with math, um, if kids aren't editing and looking for ways to find their mistakes, then how do you know that they're learning? And part of me wonders like, is that why? I mean, I know we've had this discussion with our own personal children and their math grades right now. And that's, you know, I don't know. It just raises a red flag to me. Like, are these digital computer things? And I know that they have to do them for SBAC and whatever, but I just don't know how much editing of their own work there is. I don't know how much actual like feedback from the teacher there is to help them fix their mistakes. And so like, is it just rolling over from year to year that they don't know what they're doing or how to fix the mistakes that they're making. I don't know, but it sounds like you're thinking about it. I sure am. <laughs> Infinite <laughs> Campus doesn't let me forget. So No, it doesn't. So another thing that came out either the first or the second um, meetings were was all about the testing environment. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fascinating. You would think that every teacher would provide the best testing environment possible because the, the assessments matter. But yet, does everybody understand what a good testing environment is? I don't know. Especially when they know that we're, we're looking at the achievement and the progress in their classroom. So wouldn't you want your environment to be suitable for the best possible results so you of make what it, you did with your kids. You would think, but then again, let's think about it. I mean, other than talking to you about your data, what's going to happen to you if your data stinks? We're going to have to like figure it out and try to help you. And hopefully you're willing to accept the help. But if not, you can just, you know, you can keep on trucking. We're, I mean, we got other things to do. We can't be in your room the whole right, time. Which is hard for us. I know, again, we've had these conversations. It's hard for us to understand because like, Personally, I wouldn't be okay with like, like, I just wouldn't be okay with that. Like, I can't see having my testing environment where kids are like on the floor here and some are like, you know, tapping pencils here and some are throwing dice over here. And, you know, and then my results came back and like 50 to 60% of my kids were proficient. Like, I just wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't be okay with that. Like that would bug me. Well, so I wonder though, I mean, this is a good conversation. I mean, you guys hear me say this like second sucks. Doesn't sign up to be second. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Ricky Bobby, if you ain't first, you're last. Yeah. But 
How and much? It's not, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. This is what we're And doing. it's not like I took a test and I got 60%. Like these are children mm-hmm. that I'm responsible for this year in teaching. And so like, yeah, if I got 60% on a test, like I may be okay. I mean, I'm not, but some people might be, you know, it's only affecting you. But when you're a teacher, like it's your students, you're affecting all those lives in that classroom. This wasn't part of the podcast, but let's just keep going on this subject. Because you and I, I mean, all three of us, we do not understand. Well, you'll have someone say, well, uh, our grade level, I'm making stuff up. Our grade level was at 70% proficient last year. Well, that's great, but we're failing 30%. So if you have 30 kids, nine of them are not proficient. We can't afford to let nine kids fail. So you have to take the other perspective on that. And so like when people, when they don't take this stuff seriously, it kind of drives us crazy because that's not our mentality. I just, I don't know. So I'm going to be really curious to see, especially after this podcast study. And I know there's been like in our win meetings, some people have mentioned um, that their testing environment should look a little bit different. But I honestly wonder, like when people look at their data, are they just reflecting on their teaching practices and maybe what programs and things they use? Like, are they not even thinking that their testing environment plays a part in their data and their results. Like that's, that's what I'm going to be. There's like actual research behind like environments and. Right. Like, I think I just feel like, you know, people might look at their data and they might just be like, Oh, my scores were so low. It's because I'm using this for reading. And now I need to switch this when in reality, like you just need to have your kids sitting at a table. But this comes back to something we talk about all the time where we think, and I'm not trying to throw anybody on the bus. So please know that, you know, this is a very generalized statement. We think that that's common sense. Right. But we we say this a lot. Like there's there's not a lot of common sense in some common areas. So do we need to spend time, we're actually spending time talking about this um, in the future, on what constitutes a, a good testing environment? Yeah. Like should we have to spend time on saying they should not be talking? They should be focused. I I don't know. Well, and I mean, again, in our meetings that we had with teachers, like as we asked them to reflect, like there were several of them that asked for help, which is great. I mean, that's that was the purpose of that whole meeting. And there were several of them that said, like, yes, I'd like you to be in my room to help facilitate this or help, you know. So, I mean, it's good. It gets them thinking. Um. But at the same time, it just makes me wonder how many people aren't asking for help that have environments that could improve their. Right. You think that they would control that piece because that's controllable. Right. You know? And then like, oh, then I guess like I'm back to where Shauna is, where if my scores were not great, I would think, OK, what could I do better? I think that's one area I would make sure I had said. Right. I just wonder again if like people don't reflect on that part of it. You know, like if they just don't see a problem. And I mean, we have some, I mean, we have amazing teachers Mm -hmm. at our school. Like it's. But you know, some, sorry, some people have a good point, which I think we have to validate that there can be one turkey in there that can totally set someone off or, you know, they tap their pencil on purpose because they can't do the work. So they're trying to find a way out. So I think we can support them by having, you know, a few 
but we can't have, you know, a hundred. Right. So, right. Like, you know, it's like it's expectations. Yes, there are some kids who need an alternate alternative setting. But uh, also, you know, just keeping the ones that need focus, like sitting next to you. Mm-hmm. There's no rule that says they have to take it in there at their desk. Right. So, okay. Shifting gears. Um, I have been lucky. I think I've talked about this to have um, learned about John Hattie many, many years ago. And I've always been really into him. Know thy impact. Uh, and of course he's coming out or he came out with a, you know, an updated uh, book this year. And so I wanted to do John Hattie on the podcast and the podcast that we're doing when we come back after Thanksgiving break is more John Hattie. What, um, what areas of the podcast on Hattie stuck out most to you both? (laughs) Um, Well, I know we'll probably agree on a lot of them, but the one that I know we started with was, the interpretation of data and how important it is. Um, so the school that I came from, I feel like we individually looked at like our maps data. We also did RTI. So like we knew where our kids were, but then I remember when I came to Thompson, it was like, here's this whole benchmark spreadsheet and here's this. And I just remember being, um, it was probably obnoxious at the time, but I was just so genuinely interested. I would ask all these questions like, well, what does this color mean? And what does this number mean? And why are we looking at this? And where does this come from? And I just know how much it helped me that first year um, interpreting that data. It wasn't just like put it into a spreadsheet. Here's all the colors. This is just what it is. But just learning more about my kids and what to do with that. And I know that that was a big topic of conversation at our um, last podcast meeting that we had with our staff. Yeah. So I my from this Hattie podcast was the same thing. Like we don't need to teach people to look at data. We need to teach them how to interpret it. Mm-hmm. I just remember as a classroom teacher and like my last few years when I was a math strategist and I had three groups of so-called bubble students. Um, I just remember like every time I got, you know, those test results back, I would, and I'm a paper pencil kind of person. Um, I would write down every kid's name. I would write down their scores from the last time to this time, mm-hmm. like how much they grew or how much they digressed, if that even happened. And I would like write reasons next to it. I would like, you know, what did I do with this? I just broke it down so, so much. And I was like in it for like a week or so. And because I couldn't just like, oh, why did these five kids, of course, those five kids, you know, didn't grow as much as everybody else. They're always talking or what, like that wasn't, that wasn't on my radar of excuses. Like it was, I just dug deep into the data and like wanted to know more and get as much of it as I could from that data so that I could, you know, even to like, what teacher did this kid come from? You know, like, is there, are there patterns? I would look for patterns just to try to get the whole picture to, you know, make it better and see what I could do next. You, uh, you love data. Angie, when you first got to Thompson, you be, I, we created an, we created an animal (laughs) data. Um, You two love it. Like you love it. Tracy loves it because there's a good statement. If you, uh, if you basically squeeze the data long enough, it will confess. Um, are we just different in the fact that we genuinely love, like we will over winter break, we're going to spend hours breaking map down. You know, it's coming. Our teachers, some teachers just, they don't, they don't like, I know some admin don't even look at map 
other than when they're at, when their supervisor makes them. Uh, are we just different? Are we built but, differently? But that's just crazy to me because how how do you know what's happening if you're not looking at the data and you're not well, questioning it and you're not you know thinking of different ways like I mean that's like our job like we have to figure out the problem so that we can provide solutions to it and if we're just looking at the very surface level then I feel like we're doing a disservice to so many people but you get back to the the teachers and we we have them too they know who they are who don't like map and it's district wide there's tons of teachers that don't like map well okay fine then there's no reason to stink on it just because you don't like it mm-hmm. so why why don't people use like data should be the guide i'm pretty sure that's hattie hattie data should guide your path why aren't people willing is it an ego thing and like they don't like map but your kids are being compared to kids all over the country and it's showing what your kids know compared to what other kids know. And if your kids are sucking, then like, I don't understand. Why are you okay with that? I agree. I don't, I don't understand at all. I well, don't... And maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it goes back to what Hattie's talking about to begin with, that it's not just about collecting the data. It's about interpreting it. So if you hate it so much, then that's when you research even more. Like, what is it that you hate about it? Is it because you don't understand it? Is it because you disagree with the questions? Okay, well, where are the questions coming from? And But it goes back to, sorry, sorry, Angie. It goes back to the accountability piece. Like how many teachers don't want to be accountable to the data so they just blame the test or the kids? Right. Like, I don't like the way the application is to get into, you know, UNLV. So what? So you're just not going to, you know, UNLV didn't accept me. It's a bad application in that school. Yeah, space. like you can't just keep making excuses. Like that's what the standards are for people to be judged on and compared. And like, it's our job to set these kids up to be successful amongst their peers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's I mean, that's your job. I don't know. I yeah. appreciate your passion. This one gets you fired up. <laughs> <laughs> what else about Hattie? I think it's fascinating when, so visible learning, basically the sequel came out. We started looking at that. Um, How many things people do that don't have a positive effect on learning? For example, but so this is just an example. I love Hattie because he makes me think. Homework in elementary school is not found to have a significant impact. But then he says, that doesn't mean don't do homework. It means find a way to make it have a significant impact, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I think is just fascinating. But what we have, I I admit, I was like this. Well, there's no reason to do homework. But then the the kindergarten team, bless their hearts. They just know they need to practice writing their name. They need to practice counting to 10 at home. And so they have found a way to make it work. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's just got to be meaningful, you know, like, what are you doing with that homework? Are those skills that the kids really, like, is it going to benefit them to continue working on that at home? And what are you doing with it? Like, I know we've talked about our, you know, middle schoolers bringing home stuff and having pages and problems 
Um, and I know they talked about this in that math podcast too, that we, that we talked about, you know, like what's the benefit less is more with that kind of stuff. Instead of assigning 35 problems, assign five, but make sure you actually go over those five in class the next day so the kids can catch their mistakes and see what they're doing. So if you're using it right, I don't think that it's that bad, but I mean, if you're just assigning it for the sake of giving kids tasks to complete and they're not doing anything with it and neither are you, then yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. You know, and then, so that leads into another thing Hattie talked about where the science of reading came up. Um, I think it was this podcast. If not, the people listening are going to get a little sneak peek, but science of reading, like phonics has its place and it has its importance. But once a kid has it, they don't need to listen to stuff anymore that they don't have. And so you have to find that time where does a kid need to sit and listen to you do that phonics lesson when they know how to read? Yeah, it was this podcast at minute 22. (laughs) 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 That kids that know how to read, they don't need to sit through phonics. Like they've already understood how the phonics of words and everything works. That's why they're reading. Let me go to the primary person in this group though. Angie, when you used to teach first grade, the first the argument for kindergarten, first or second grade is they need to make sure the foundation is solid. I mean, I would agree you need to make sure the foundation is solid. But if you have a kid that can read chapter books, like obviously their foundation is solid. And I think when you think of like reading foundations and phonics, like, yes, foundations are important. Those are the, you know, like that the kids need to have some of those foundational skills. But when you're talking about like in older grades, they were talking about how phonics are still important and they were talking about word endings and morphology and that stuff like that's still phonics. But I mean, I don't know that all kids need that. I just, I don't know. I am going to be a hundred percent transparent and tell you, I taught first grade for a very long time without knowing the science of reading. I couldn't tell you the syllable types. I couldn't tell you diphthongs and die. I mean, I, a lot of them, I'm just being a hundred percent transparent in that. And I had a lot of success as a first grade teacher. And I mean, it's great. I'm learning a lot. Now I have to do these letters trainings that I sit and complain about all the time, but they are actually like, I'm learning things and I'm understanding the why and the how behind the things that were working. But at the time, as I was doing them, I didn't realize that this actually has a name. This has a rule to it. Like it's just I don't know. This letter just makes this sound, but sometimes it makes these three other sounds and this is what it is. And you, you know, I mean, I'm listen, never claim yeah. everything. And this we is can't, what... sorry. We can't teach everything explicitly. Right. We don't have time. I don't know what a diphthong is or mm-hmm. a diagraph. I probably could, you know, I can figure it out. I just like off the top of my head though. I don't, I'm admitting that to a lot of people, a lot of principals out there are like, like what, how the hell did he become a principal? <laughs> I, but it's, I didn't learn that way. Right. And so I struggle greatly with it, but man, still here I am. I, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, so I struggle. I, I know finance is important. Mm-hmm. Patty even backs that one up, but at some point in time, we gotta, we've got to get them reading to learn rather than learning to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Kind of a, go ahead, go ahead, Shana. No, I was just saying, I think that goes back to knowing what your kids need or knowing your kids, because I feel like, in the past, it's been like teachers, like, you know, primary teachers and every group of teachers has their only thing that they do. But it's like, nope, this is what they're supposed to do in first grade. So we're going to make everybody sit through it and everybody's going to do it. And 
like not everybody needs it. So I think you need to know what your kids need individually so that you can, you know, differentiate. And if some kids need phonics and they need phonics, if some kids are ready to move on then they're ready and you're, it's your job to manage that and juggle it so that every kid is getting what they need. Like, mm-hmm. But when you go back to the first podcast, that lady was a believer. I can't remember if she said trophies or wonders or whatever her basil was. She seemed to be a believer in the basil. Us three are not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think many people are not. So I, I wish we could talk to her and say, okay, but we know that not every kid needs the exact same thing at the same time. So how did she handle that? I know I'm just thinking, thinking as we go. Um, I read some research this summer about Hattie, basically the sequel coming out. He has gotten to where he is trying to get um, teachers to be recorded, but then we have to know their thinking while they're teaching. And so one of my goals this year, you ladies um, were involved in this is, uh, record a teacher and then have her overlay her thoughts while she was teaching that and then let the staff watch that because you learn more when the teacher says, right now I was thinking I need to call on him. I was thinking I need to go walk over there and make sure that person's on task. So Hattie basically um, has found this new approach and we're trying to use it. My thought process is uh, how many people will reflect enough based upon watching the video of the teacher that we, we recorded, or will they just um, will they be professional and try to actually grow from it? Well, I think it was powerful too. We just did our walkthroughs last week. Um, and a lot of the reflections that people had, you know, like we gave them the guiding questions and the things we wanted them to look for. But a lot of people were like, well, you know, we were only in there five minutes and we don't know these kids and we don't know, you know, what was going on. We don't know if this was differentiated for them or not. So um, I'm excited. Uh, That video is actually on my list of things to get done. Um, I'm excited for our staff to be able to watch that because I think that it is Like, I think teachers do those kinds of things all the time. But again, if you're just walking through and that's what Hattie said, like walkthroughs are great, but you only see what you can see. You don't know the why behind what she's calling on that kid. Which was the reflection of all the teachers for the most part. Every time Mm -hmm. we, we debriefed is, well, I wish I would have known before. I wish I could have stayed a little longer because walkthroughs are hard. You know, we only have a a, a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. this year to, to do it. But I think we're moving in the right direction where like, I think something like this has, you have to create the culture for it. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like the walkthroughs and then these podcasts, like we're starting to get there. Like it's not something easy to do is to watch somebody else and then be self-reflective or let other people watch you. That's even, you know, more difficult, but I think we're moving towards that. And I think people are starting to like open up and trust each other and get to that point. So you led right into kind of the last topic I have, which is collective teacher efficacy, which basically means everybody has the same goals, the same intentions, uh, and wants to do the best for the students. My goal, our goal at Thompson is to someday get teachers to where they basically say, 
Shauna, I know you teach fractions much better than me. Can I come and watch you teach fractions? Shauna says, yes, I will see if Angie can cover you at this time. And then that teacher goes and watch Shauna. And then basically you get to have a post-observation conference between the teachers and you're just working together to get better for the kids. And we have a common goal in that nature. Why do you think this is such a monumental task, even at our school, who, you know, we we feel like we're going in the right direction? Is it, I mean, is it because teaching is so personal and when you ask for help, you basically have to show some insecurity? Yeah, because I mean, even like you posing that question just gets me thinking and I know you like sports analogies and I always think of like doctors and diagnosing and finding the cure when I think about analogies, but it's like any other profession, like I know my son, he plays soccer, like they have to sit there and they have to watch like, you know, their games and everybody's there watching them and everybody's there criticizing and, you know, saying what should have happened and who should have moved where and all this stuff. And I know I've seen like surgeons, you know, they, when they're, or doctors when they're preparing to become, you know, whatever their goal is, they sit there and they watch other surgeries be performed or, you know, there's there with the other doctor in the meeting or in the, you know, appointments and stuff like that. Yet in teaching, it's just so, I don't know. It's yeah, just one of the atmosphere. One of the things that I use uh, in my uh, presentation about the, the V principle perspective is a video of the NFL linemen all get together in the summer and they're on the opposite teams during the season, but during the summer they're on the same team and they get together and they talk about all the things that make them great at their job. Mm -hmm. Nobody has to tell them to do this. They go, they pay to go and they are learning from basically their opposition, Mm -hmm. but they're learning because they have a collective, uh, Offensive lineman efficacy. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I I just struggle. I mean, I've I've told you guys this. I don't understand. But why do we have such a hard time getting to that point? I know the schedule is hard, you know, traditionally, um, which we're working on. But we have people that will go cover. I'll go cover. It might not be pretty, but I'll do it. But why? Why do you feel like that's such a hard thing to get to? Is it just because it's so personal? I think so. And I think it comes down to like personalities too, you know, like there are some people that it might just be a pride thing. Like I'm not good at this, but I'm also not going to go and admit that you're better at this than I am. So I'm just going to suffer through, or I'm just going to do, keep doing what I do or try something different myself. I mean, I don't know. I've never been a person that has been afraid, been afraid to ask for help. Um, But I mean, again, I can only speak for myself. I don't know. But that's kind of the common thing that I notice. The people that you that don't ask for help are the people that I don't know, maybe it's it just comes down to maybe they think they know it best or they're afraid, like you said, of showing their own insecurities. It's a personality thing for me, I think, especially too. I feel like teachers, they're performing their craft in their four walls. Like you said, nobody else sees them. Unless we're going in to observe them where every other profession, I mean, there's people watching, there's other people, you know, that see them. And so they're just used to it and they know that they're being held accountable. We're here. It's only like when we get a chance to go in, you know, Uh when we to observe. So I don't know. Yeah. And too, I mean, we have a teacher on our staff um, who's traumatized from her last admin 
And so just afraid to do anything wrong. So to open yourself up to peer peer to peer scrutiny is probably terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know how to get over. It goes back to the mind frames to get everybody in the, the mind frame of we're all here to work together for a common purpose and to achieve a common goal. But I think that the walkthroughs, I know what Hattie was saying about thinking about thinking. I think the walkthroughs were powerful in that sense. Cause I think even walking into a teacher's classroom for five minutes, watching them teach like reading, you know, you pick up on, I really like her energy or, Ooh, you know, I, she's somebody I would want to come ask. Like there's, and that's something you wouldn't know had you not gone into the room and watched them teach, you know, like, I think it was in this podcast too, where he talked about, you know, teachers on your staff from like the workroom or the lounge, but you don't really know what they are like as teachers. You know, I remember as a teacher, parents would ask the school I was at, um, our principal honored teacher requests. And so parents would constantly come and say like, who do you recommend for next year? And I'm like, well, the whole staff is great, but your best bet is to go talk to other parents who have had these teachers because I only know them from happy hour. I know them from the staff lounge. I know them from luncheons, um, which they're great. And I'm great. I'm sure they're great at what they do. But, you know, like you said, what you do in your four walls is what you do. And so I think walkthroughs are kind of a nice way of maybe opening those doors and making people feel a little more comfortable. Like, hey, I kind of like the way that you did that. But maybe that's not somebody that they would have gone to had they not had that opportunity. So I was just thinking, too, like one of the issues we face, everybody faces is building trust. I have to trust that you're going to come in here and you're going to be honest, but you're not going to go like to the neighbor and be like, Oh my gosh, you should have seen, ah, it was just, so it's a trust thing um, too. And I know personally, I don't trust people um, personally until, until I get to know you quite well. Uh, Professionally, I'll trust you till I can't, but uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard Mm -hmm. to, um, it's hard to let someone who is a relative stranger in most cases come in and critique your career yeah. and your passion. Well, mm-hmm. ladies, it's great that the people can actually listen to us have a conversation because we do this more than more than people can possibly imagine. So the yeah. teachers at Thompson, like, this is what's happening. We're sitting here trying to figure out things and talking about the best ways to move forward and to do great things. But uh, I thank you. The people listening probably thank you just so they could listen to your thoughts. Uh, but you know what? In the end, it's all, all about, about perspective. That's right. Thank you as always. And yes, uh, thank I you. appreciate your time. Bye.